Morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. Welcome those folks watching online as well. So we are continuing in the series. And I'm wondering, when I say the term prophet or prophecy, what comes to your mind? What sort of person? Which person? What feelings does that idea, the prophetic, bring to my, into your being? You could be thinking of one of the prophets from the Old Testament, ones like the Isaiah or Jeremiah type folk, or maybe from the New Testament, John the Baptist, who we know was a bit of an unusual figure at times, who was out in the uh, desert, who ate locusts and honey. I like the honey bit, but I'm not so sure I fancy the locusts. Or maybe in your mind, somebody that you know comes to mind, somebody in this church or somebody you watch online, or maybe none of the above. Maybe you just think, I don't really know what to think when you talk about those things. Now, in my experience, and I, I just this is my own reflection, that I think that the areas that we're looking at in the Ephesians 4 passage, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, the apest, as that gets called, the prophet might be the one that is potentially most misunderstood. Don't know if you think the same as that. I've heard people talk as if they expect prophets to be very similar to how they were in the Old Testament, who were the key people, who were those that communicated to the people, and potentially the idea of that, uh, that to be a prophet needs to look like that, may be one of the reasons why some people might be a bit fearful or cautious about the prophetic. But I know, of course, others love the prophetic. They'll go to meetings where they're expecting God to speak in a prophetic voice in lots of different ways. So we're going to be in this auditorium, a whole range of different sorts of people. In 1 Corinthians, as Stephen has already highlighted, there is this verse that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. So my hope is over this morning, I have three kind of aims and I hope we get there. I hope to clarify why God wants us to embrace this gifting. I want us to consider some of the reasons maybe why we are uncertain or hold back from this gift. And then I want us for all to see that actually the prophetic is broader than just sometimes what we may be perceiving it to be because it broadens out into being a prophetic people in the way we live out our lives and in the way we are interacting with the community in which we live. So just a reminder of the scripture that we have been looking at over the last few weeks from Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ gave himself, sorry, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As there's so much in those short verses. And as it's been seen before in, in the teaching we've had over the last couple of weeks, the church is one where, where each of these gifts, when they're used, that is how the body of Jesus, us on earth, will grow. We will grow as we individually relate with this gifting, as maybe we receive from this gifting, but also we will be, as all of these areas are respected and nurtured and encouraged, we will be a people who will grow. One plus five equals growth, great mathematical term brought to us by Dave. One being Jesus plus five, those are the five gifts, will mean we will grow. This is the, one of the models that Jesus showed, uh, the, the, um, Paul talks about and is the way that we as a church will grow the, the body of Jesus. And of course, isn't that what we want? We want as God's people to be growing internally, growing in your maturity, as the verse in Ephesians said, but also growing in terms of being able to reach out and being that prophetic voice into our world. We've used this image before. The circle is like the church. And these five gifts, the shepherd being the one in the center to care for the people within the church. The teacher, the one to be like the guardian to kind of keep us on the straight and narrow through the teaching of God's word. The evangelist, the one who brings people in. They're naturally out there reaching out. The apostle, the one that moves us forward, makes sure that we're still moving forward. And the prophet, listening for the voice of God. So for that to happen, we all need to be willing to be the prophetic word, the prophetic voice. And without it, we will miss out. Paul explains that the gift of prophecy is, as we've already heard through the balloon illustration, for the strengthening the encouragement and the comfort of his people. It is a good gift. So how foolish we would be if we were not using it, if we were not being willing for it to be given. So I was thinking about this and thinking, so in our community, I've been a part of this church for about 35 years. I've seen the gift of the prophetic being used at more at certain times and less at others. And I wonder why. And I was thinking about that, and I'm just going to offer four things that I think mean that we sometimes hold back. And you might have others that you would actually be thinking of. So what stops us being prophetic? The dial is, it feels risky. The second one I've put there is that we are possibly concerned over what others will think. The third one, the globe it feels just too burdensome. If we think about the Old Testament prophets, and that's what we might think we have to be like, we know that God got the prophets of old to do some pretty difficult things. There was Ezekiel who was told to lie on his left side for 390 days and then on his right for 40. Anybody want this sort of challenge? <laughs> it was to be a visual of what God was saying to the people at that time. 
Well, the fourth one there is just a lot of questions. I think that we often are people who just are uncertain. So I just want to unpack those a little bit more. So risk. Yes, it's understandable. It is risky to be a conduit of what God may be saying. In an auditorium like this, it takes uh, encouragement. It, it takes knowing that it definitely is what you're supposed to do because you might feel really foolish to do that, to be able to say something gently and yet say, I believe this is from God. Taking the risk, though, means that we are sometimes used to do something extraordinary in church or amongst just one-to-one. The first time that I can remember in our old chapel building, if I can call it that, up the top of the common, I was sitting on one side of the balcony and I was looking across the other side. I hadn't been thinking about anything particular, but one last on the other side of the balcony really caught my attention. And I just felt God drop into my being. I want you to go and tell her something. <laughs> and I thought, uh, no, I don't think I want to do that. I don't know her. Um, I'm, I, I just don't know. I, I, you know that feeling of getting all hot and bothered? You just think, no. So I bartered with God. <laughs> Not necessarily a good thing to do. I said, well... It's clearly too difficult for me to go out the door, in the other door. If you know that building, you'll know what I mean. Oh, and anyway, there's people in the way. So at the end of the service, by which time, you know that, well, you may not, but I certainly have experienced it since, that thinking of, oh, I've still got to do something. So I said to God, well, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to get me to meet this person. And I was actually thinking in my head, there's a lot of people, it's easy to miss people. Anyway... I went down to the hall where we used to have coffee and there she was in the centre of the room. So I went up to her and I didn't know her and I just said, I'm, um, I hope you don't mind, but I just feel God has got something for me to say to you. And so I imparted this deep prophetic word. It wasn't. It was simply this. I believe God wants you to know that he loves you. And this young woman completely cracked and just started to weep. And I was like, oh, now what do I do? I feel so foolish. Oh, am, am I supposed to do something else? But it just like she turned to her friends, so I just kind of sauntered off feeling like, oh, I think that was the right thing to do. Now, okay, this one turned out okay. And it was the right thing. But I don't always get it right and although this wasn't a prophetic word in quite the same way, I believe I had a prophetic word for myself when I was carrying my first child. I believed God said that I was carrying a boy. I didn't have one of the scans. I was, I was carrying a boy and he would be born on the 5th of September. Well, Helen arrived on the 24th of August. I want you to know... Okay, it made no difference, and I didn't give it to somebody else <laughs> as a prophetic word, and I wouldn't. But I realized, though, that actually I can be wrong, and that's why it's important, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, that we weigh, we weigh the prophetic gifts. 
And there is a purpose why in our church gathering, if anybody has a sense of God speaking, we ask that it is weighed by those who are leading the service. So we are, there are, I just want to say actually on that area of prophetic things where it's about things that are, could really be burdensome to people, we do need to be people who are very wise in this. If a prophetic word is in the area that is about somebody maybe going to have a baby and they're barren, or that they're going to get married and they're single, or that there's something around being uncertain if God is speaking to somebody at end of life and maybe is God going to heal. Those particular sort of prophetic gifts, I would say, we must really be cautious about. Of course, God may be using you, but make sure that you weigh it. So unlike the prophets in the Old Testament who really listened and seemed to hear so acutely, we do know there too there were false prophets around But since Jesus, things have changed. In Hebrews, we read this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. There is a distinction between what was before Jesus and what was after. Jesus himself is the response to all the prophetic words that came through the Old Testament. He himself is like the main prophet. His life is lived out in a prophetic way. This was the distinction of before and after. But we know that the church continued to have gift of prophecy So we need to weigh. What are we weighing it against? We are weighing it against what else is written in Scripture. And for that, we need to know the Scriptures. And that's why you need to talk to somebody of maturity if you don't feel you do. Does it strengthen comfort and encourage? Does it fit cleanly along the life and teaching of Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? And if given out in a gathering, does it fit with everything else that is happening? In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to a church there where there are a lot of spiritual gifts are being given all at one time. Tongues are given, prophetic words are given. And he's actually saying there needs to be a level of calm and control in this to some measure. But it was clear that there was a lot of spiritual gifts being used at that time. Now, I don't see that as something that has been happening in Gold Hill as much as it used to. In fact, I believe we need to encourage this even more. And I was really feeling that as I was preparing for today. We need to encourage the prophetic. I said fear can stop people speaking out. But I also equally think that a church can be fearful. Fearful that somehow we'll go into some chaotic place. Fearful that maybe we'll get things wrong. But we need to be people who desire all that God wants. And yes, it's possibly risky and it's possibly we won't always get it right. But we don't want to miss out on what God wants to give us, do we? So we need to be willing. So that was all about the riskiness factor. Fear of others. Oh well, I understand this. Fear of others 
is so crushing in any area of life, isn't it? But when it's linked to giving out a message from God, I, I think it adds to that fear. I've heard people say things like, oh, they'll just think I'm such a holy Joe. And you feel like, oh, I don't want to be seen like that. So what's the antidote? I believe we need to be people who have our security so clearly in the fact that we live our lives before an audience of one. One day, you and I will stand before our Savior, and it's his voice that will then say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's not going to be bringing up all the times I didn't get it right. I don't believe that. And so I believe we need the freedom to try to push out those voices that are unhelpful to us. Of course, we need to search our motivation. We need to check that we're not saying something from our own desire. But as best as we're able, let's be people who live before the audience of one and therefore push the other voices away. The third area that I thought of is it feels incredibly responsible. If you feel like God is speaking to you, you might think, well, what happens if, you have, if you're a person who gets the images? What happens if I don't say exactly what is in that image? What happens if I miss out a bit? Because often in the sense of being in a, in a building like this, you may be thinking, oh, oh gosh, you know, we, we're getting towards the end, or do I say it, do I not? Everything just gets this pressure. Or we think, think well, I've got this word, what do I do with it? Can I, can I actually stand up and say it? I'm sure my nerves will get in the way. It feels very burdensome. I've, I've seen a post on Facebook a number of times which I just like the freedom of it. It says something along the lines of, don't worry, dear child, you're not so powerful you can mess up God's plan. <laughs> we really aren't that big. We're one mortal that he loves, sure. But if you and I don't get it exactly right or in the moment, it's not like everything's going to fall apart. I do think practically it helps, where possible, write down what you hear God say or what you see as an image because somehow it hones it. It makes it clearer. And if you're unsure, then certainly weigh it with others. Talk about it. It's fine. You don't have to have it all perfect. And the other thought is around the fact that, yeah, we are people who just don't totally understand it. That typical concern of, you know, is this God's voice? Is this God's image or is this just my desire? I recommend a book that's recently come out by Pete Gregg called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I feel like a normal person. That seems like a good book. I've looked at the chapter headings. I haven't yet read it all, but it's on my to-read list. So that would be something I would encourage, just so you learn. We should all be learners. Or if you've got questions about prophecy and you, you might want to do a Bible study, get, get your computer out or your Bible out and look, compare where the prophetic word is talked about just to grow your understanding. And if you still need help after all of that, ask Stephen. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so those are four areas that I could think of, but you, you may well have others. But you might be thinking, well, this isn't my main gifting, so I can kind of mentally step out from this topic. And much of what I've just talked about up to now is about how God can speak to individuals through those prophetic voices. But we know that the prophetic is broader than this. Jesus lived a prophetic life in the way he was in the world in which he was living in at that time. We, we know too that in the Old Testament, the, um, the prophets of the time were often those that were calling out about justice, telling the people, make sure your scales are accurate. Make sure you look after the widows, the aliens, the people who are foreigners. There was a cry across the whole of the Old Testament prophetic words was about living differently. We know God cares about justice and the poor and the weak. And so as a community, this isn't something we all have to do all of it. It's as a community, we need to be that prophetic voice to the community in which we live, into our country and into the world. This isn't just for a specialized few. We, we are all called to do that. And I see this already in, in the life of Gold Hill. It's not like we're not doing it. We are already doing it. The way that we have embraced the Ukrainians, for example, who come in Tuesdays and Thursdays, I love seeing that group of people come together. There are people who serve coffee, people who get down on their hands and knees and play games with the children. There's people in here who do teaching of English. This is to enable these foreigners in our country to actually find resource and to be able to bed themselves in. That is part of being a prophetic community. It's also shown in the way we do food bank and care for the poor that way. But there are lots of other ways too. We need to continually listen out. What is God calling us to do? We're living in a bigger world. Right now, Pakistan is half under, or not half, I think it was a third underwater. I mean, those people, those are our brothers and sisters, some of them. What's our response to those people? What we do individually and as a church is a part of living prophetically. Now, all of that may seem a bit burdensome. Oh, I can't do any more. I'm already, my life is so busy, we may feel. But that's why we're together. It's one plus five. It's all of us living a life prophetically. As I started to read about this, I came across this book. It was recommended by Dave. Holy Disruption. Harnessing the prophetic to shape a more Christ-like church. Kath Liversley, it's excellent. It's, a, it's really helpful. And uh, one of the um, comments at the front says this. Once we start listening to God's voice, we realize he is a holy disruptor. And no part of our lives is exempt from his activity. That's a challenge. And in it, she talks about two clear areas that are important, that we all, not just those people who have a specific gift, but we all need to be. We need to have the vertical axis, which is maintaining our constant attentiveness to God. Free from as many outside influences as we possibly can. It will mean we are a worshipping, prayerful community, listening out for his voice. 
People like this want to get rid of all the other idols, all the other things that stain or bring sin into our life. Because if we want to be listening to God, we want nothing else in between us and him. So that's one axis. And then the horizontal is as a church, we being what embodies true witness and commitment to be holy and just and righteous in a community. So it does mean that Christians should be involved in things like politics, in local councils, because there you can be a voice clearly into this barren land in many ways. I was struck as I read recently about William Wilberforce. Apparently he was told by many politicians at his time to stop bringing his faith into Parliament. He refused to do that. He said, my faith must be lived out in Parliament. In Mark 6, we have this story of Jesus. He left that place, that was Gerizim, where he had been, where he, we read that he had cast out massive demons. And he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. I find it interesting. What a range of reactions. You've got the astounded. That sounds good. They realize he's wise. And then we hear that there's lots of questions. How could this Jesus. I mean, he's just a brother to that list of four brothers, and his sisters are here. All of a sudden, you get this feeling of, oh, no, I don't think I want to listen. He's just a man, just a man, right? So, yes, he sounds wise. Oh, yes, and there are these powerful encounters, but there seems to be this sense of dis-ease, and people want to push away and Jesus' response is to say a prophet should be honored. But being in his home territory means that people have ways to excuse him. They don't want this. They don't want what he's bringing because it's going to disrupt their lives. Jesus does disrupt our lives, but with good intention and for our gain, and for the community's gain, our church and beyond, are we willing? I highlight this, as in our church, I believe there have been people over many years who have taken risks, just like we've talked about. They've spoken in Sunday services where they've brought what they felt they should bring and they may have felt unheard, just like Jesus was being pushed back. I'm sorry if we have not responded to the words that you have brought. I'm sorry for us 
if we have not listened to God through people. But he wants us now to embrace, to accept that we haven't always done it right, sure. But now is a time when God is building up Gold Hill and he wants to allow us to be people who are brave and take the risk and allow the prophetic voice to be spoken. The challenge for the person bringing the world is, word is that you may not always get the response you wanted. Keep going anyway. The challenge for us as a body is that we may be fearful. Let's put down our fear and listen with the acuity of those who are astounded. Let's be willing to do things differently. Prophets are often agitators for change. We'll be resident, uh, sorry, resident, resistant to change. The prophets will often tend to ask pointed questions. But that's because it's highlighting God's call and the gap between our obedience and his will. And this will shake us up to act. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Maybe as you've heard me unpack this, maybe we as a church need to repent, being unwilling to listen to the prophetic voices of the past. Maybe we need to be people who walk out of the shadows into the light and pick up the gift that God may have given you because you know it's worth it for what God wants to use you for. You will be those who will strengthen, encourage, build up. So don't hold back. And is God calling us as a body to be more open to him, releasing of his message through people, ordinary people, but people who God has given the gift for. I pray we are open to him. Amen.